continuing with the series of Repentance from Dead Works, which is uh, the very first of the foundational doctrines taught to us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verses uh, 1 and 2. And there are six foundational doctrines that are taught, and uh, we're dealing with the first one, which is Repentance from Dead Works. And what we're dealing with uh, with regards to that particular doctrine over this series of teachings is the fact that we have been freed from sin. Um, that's the title of the series that I've given, is that we have been freed from sin. Um, our Lord Jesus, when he came to the earth, dealt with a number of things. There's, there's a myriad uh, of issues that our Lord dealt with. Um, but one of those things that he dealt with almost primarily was with sin of mankind. Um, but there were other issues that he dealt with as well. He dealt with the, the spiritual realm, Satan's kingdom, um, death, a whole lot of things that our Lord dealt with uh, through his death, uh, burial and resurrection when he came to the earth. But with regards to the sin of mankind, what our Lord did was he uh, dealt with our sin um, in that he's cleansed us from our sin, in that he became sin that we might become his righteousness, in that he paid the price for our sin. But one of the aspects that our Lord also did was during his lifetime, when he was on the earth, um, he dealt with sin in the flesh. Um, so it, it wasn't only a case of he dealt with our sin, but he dealt with the, the aspect of sin in the flesh. And uh, we've been dealing with, and we've been going through, and, and we saw, especially in the book of Romans, Paul highlights the fact. In fact, it's really Paul who receives this revelation from the Lord. Uh, the other apostles don't really talk about it because they, have not, they didn't receive as much revelation as Paul did. Um, and so Paul really highlights and explains to the church about this concept of sin in the flesh. And Romans chapter 7, he really deals with it in, in, in detail. And he highlights the fact that these bodies that we dwell in, in fact, are sinful in nature, and that they have the sin virus dwelling inside of them, that they've inherited all the way through the bloodline from Adam. And uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, when he came to the earth on the cross, he dealt with the sin of mankind. Um, and, you know, that uh, our sins were forgiven, and our sins were paid for, and uh, he took upon himself our sin. But the aspect of, of what we're dealing with in, in this series of teachings is what our Lord did with regards to sin in the flesh during his lifetime. For it was during the lifetime of our Lord, from the time he came into the earth until the time that he died, that our Lord Jesus Christ dealt with sin in the flesh. And that is what we have to deal with in our lifetime here. When we're saved, we're born again. Our sins are forgiven, uh, we're cleansed, we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. All of our sins are paid for, and we have an eternal salvation awaiting us. But when we live on the earth after we're born again, from the time we come into the kingdom until the time we leave this planet, we still have to deal with the sin of the flesh, because we still reside in an earthly tent. These earthly bodies do not change. And that is what we have to deal with in this life. Um, when I say in this life, I'm talking about the, the born-again believer now. I'm not talking about un unbelievers. And so it's really in this life that uh, we need to walk free from sin. Um, because when we get to heaven, there's no sin in heaven. There's no, there will be no uh, temptation to commit any sin. Uh, you know, obviously, at that stage, the, the believer is completely uh, free from sin. They're living in a sinless environment. But in this life, we live in an environment that is completely contaminated by sin. Uh, all around us, this world is a sinful and a wicked uh, place to be. But not only that, these bodies that we, in, that we live in uh, are sinful in nature. They have, a, they have that sin virus inside of them. And that is what our Lord dealt with when he lived on the earth. His lifetime I'm talking about. I'm not talking about when he went to the cross. I'm talking before he went to the cross, from the time he came into the earth until the time he died. He dealt with sin in the flesh. And because he's done that, we um, are able to deal with it as well. Because we do need to do, deal with it. That's one. You know, it's no good us pretending it's not there. Sin in the flesh is there and must be dealt with. And God has made provision for his church to walk free from sin in the flesh. 
And so we can, from the time we come into the kingdom of God until the time we do leave this planet to go to be with the Lord, we can walk free from sin. And that is what we really are discussing in this series of teachings, uh, to show the body of Christ just how she can walk free from sin. Because uh, it's not a, a teaching that has really been emphasized too much in the church. And the church has been you know, bound because of it, because she's not been taught how to walk free from sin. And yet the Lord has made provision for us to do that. And so we've had a look at uh, certain concepts up until now with regards to this particular topic. And we've seen that our spirits cannot sin because our spirits are born of God. And when we're born again, we're born again of incorruptible seed. Incorruptible means exactly that, that cannot be corrupted. And that's why John the Apostle says, he who is born of God cannot sin. And so it is our spirits that cannot sin. And that is why the Holy Spirit can come and take up residence in our spirits when we are born again. For he can only dwell in um, a, the in a um, place that is completely free from sin. The Holy Spirit cannot dwell within sin. And so it, it, the saints under the old covenant could never be born again. Their, their, their spirits remained spiritually dead even on, uh, when they um, believed God and was accounted dead to them for righteousness. Think of Abraham. Um, he was still spiritually dead. He was still uh, separated from God in his spirit. And the Holy Spirit could not come and take up residence inside his spirit. And none of the Old Testament saints could enjoy that um, uh, closeness with God. That's why they had the temple. That's why they had to go once a year or however, however many times a year and present themselves before the Lord. That's why um, people under the Old Covenant had no exposure to the Holy Spirit whatsoever. It was only the, the prophet, the king, and the priest who were anointed by the Holy Spirit, um, and they had contact with the Holy Spirit in their offices. But the, the, the Jewish person, um, the average Jewish per person, had no contact with God at all, ever. Uh, even when they went to the temple, um, the, the Shekinah glory of God was uh, housed above the mercy seat, inside the holiest of all, the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest went into that place once a year. Um, and so no Jewish person ever had any contact with God whatsoever. Because he couldn't dwell in them, because they were not yet born again. Under the new covenant, it changes. We're born again. Our spirits are now born of God. And the Holy Spirit resides within us. Our, temp our spirits become the temple of God. And so we have intimate fellowship with God because he dwells on the inside of us. And he can do that because our spirits are completely sinless. There's, they have no capacity to commit sin at all. And that is such an important truth. That, and that truth is pretty much understood in the church today. Um, wasn't understood in the church years and years and years ago, but um, I think that that particular truth has been put out into the body of Christ that she understands that you know we're born again and it is the spirit of man that is born again and completely free from sin. And you obviously have to, uh, have to understand we've dealt with this in uh, previous teachings. Man is a spirit, he has a soul, he lives inside a body, he also has a conscience, also has a will. And each one of those five parts of man has its role to play, and that is how uh, man functions. <clears throat> Nevertheless, the spirit of man can't sin, and uh, it, uh, that is why the Holy Spirit can reside within us. Then we had a look at the fact that the flesh of man uh, can only sin. The flesh of man has no capacity for righteousness. And the flesh of man is made up of two parts. The flesh of man is made up of this physical body that we dwell in, the earthly tent. Peter, both Peter and Paul calls, call their bodies earthly tents because they are temporary structures. They're not designed to last for all eternity. These are not immortal bodies that we dwell in. We will receive immortal bodies when our Lord returns to the earth and we get our resurrected bodies. But currently, these mortal bodies that we dwell in are inherited from Adam. Um, when Adam committed sin, the sin virus entered into his physical body, into his bloodstream. And the Bible teaches us that from one blood, God has made every nation under the earth. And so every one of us have, have inherited our blood from Adam. And that blood is contaminated contaminated with the sin virus. And so that sin virus uh, permeates these earthly tents that we dwell in. Um, and so that these earthly tents only have a capacity for sin. They do not have a capacity for righteousness of an, in and of their own accord. And the Bible talks about the will of the flesh. And so these, these bodies given a license by us 
uh, would, it would only commit sin. If we give ourselves over to walking in the flesh, um, we will only walk in sin because that's what the bodies uh, enjoy doing. Uh, the Bible talks about the fact that sin is uh, pleasurable to the flesh. So the flesh is made up of these physical bodies, but the flesh is also made up of our carnal minds. For when we come into the kingdom of God, we have carnal minds. Our minds have to transition from carnal thinking to becoming to spiritual thinking. And that takes time. That is uh, the growth process, part of the growth process that takes place in the uh, life of the believer when they come into the kingdom of God. And so those two aspects of man uh, make up his flesh, his carnal mind and his physical body, the, the actual flesh that he dwells in. And those two aspects only have capacity for sin. They have no capacity for righteousness at all. They cannot commit righteousness. The Bible talks says that the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the laws of God, neither indeed can it be. And so it's impossible for the carnal mind to be reconciled to God. It's against God. It, it, you know, whatever God says, carnal mind says, uh-uh, this is what I say. And so the two are completely opposite to each other, and that's why we have to transition from being carnally minded to becoming spiritually minded. And that takes place with the renewing of our minds, as taught us in Romans chapter 12. And so <clears throat> those are the two aspects we have. Spirit of man, born again, can only com um, commit righteousness. Flesh of man, um, not born of, of Adam, I suppose you could say, um, can only commit sin. And these two are poles apart. And we saw that it is with our will, for it is our, as an act of our will, we decide how we're going to walk. Because the Bible puts the, the choice to us. And he says, walk in the, in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So God says, you guys decide. I've given you your spirit. Your spirit is now born again and and wanting to walk in righteousness your flesh is still wanting to walk in sin you make the decision how you're going to walk and so as an act of our will we decide uh, that we're going to walk in the spirit and we're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh but that is where our will kicks in and our will makes that decision now we saw in the previous teaching that not only do we have these two uh, parts of man which are opposing each other the flesh of man and the spirit of man who are completely in opposition to each other, and we need to uh, walk in, in the spirit of man and thus not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But we saw also with regards to sin itself that there are two categories of sin. And the two primary categories, well, there are two categories. Uh, the two categories of sin are known sin and unknown sin. Unknown sin being unintentional sin and sin committed in, 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 in ignorance. I'll get my, my tongue around that eventually. Um, and we saw how God deals with the two uh, completely differently. God never holds us accountable for unknown sin. I can't be held accountable for sin that I commit that I didn't know about. But we saw that we are always committing unknown sin through our ignorance of the Word of God because you know, we're growing in the things of Christ. Um, and also because you know we do and say things that are hurtful and offensive to other people and it was no, never our intention to be offensive towards someone else. And so, you know, we say things or we do things that offend and hurt people um, and we don't know about it. You know, we carry on with our lives and that sin had to, has to be dealt with because we've also shown that all sin must be dealt with. God doesn't ignore any sin. Every sin has to be dealt with and accounted for. And so what the Lord does we saw is through unknown so our unknown sin and our sin committed in ignorance um, his blood is continuously cleansing us from that sin and that's in 1 John chapter 1 verses 7 and 8 I think it is um, where the Lord reveals that truth to us that uh, if we walk in the light as he is in the light um, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son Jesus Christ our Lord cleanses us from all sin um, and then goes on to say, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And we, so we explained that. Um, you can go back to that teaching and, and, and get the, the, the gist of what we were saying there. But, and we looked at the, the old covenant that during the year when you committed known sin, you had to go before the temple. You had to offer your sacrifice in order to have your sin cleansed. But at once a year, um, uh, the, on the Day of Atonement, that particular feast day, the high priest would go into the holiest of all 
And he went in there once a year. That was the only time he went in there. And he would offer up the sacrifice uh, for the whole nation and for himself, obviously, for all sins that were committed in, in ignorance. That was when that sin got dealt with. But under the new covenant, that sin is still... We said the sin stays the same from the old covenant to the new covenant doesn't change. The sacrifice has changed. And the 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 method of sacrifice, I suppose, frequency of sacrifice has changed. Because the blood of Jesus Christ is only being paid for once, okay? For one, at one time only, he went into the holiest of all and offered up his blood. But that blood is there, ever cleansing us all the time from that unknown sin that we commit. So we're always able to walk in the light as he is in the light. Because um, there's no sin that separates me from God except known sin. Known sin is the only sin that God holds me accountable for. Once I commit known sin, God says, okay, now I don't cleanse you from that automatically. Now you have to apply 1 John 1, 9. Now you have to confess that sin, repent of it, and ask my forgiveness, and I will then forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then the known sin is dealt with, and I'm back in fellowship with the Lord. And so those are how the two categories of sin are, are dealt with. And uh, we won't go through that in any kind of uh, more detail today. We want to look at now... Uh, we've touched on it briefly, but I really want to get back to this particular point of the fact that our Lord Jesus is the one who has overcome sin in the flesh. Because it's so important for us to have understanding of this concept. Because unless we do, unless we walk in the reality of this truth, we will never overcome sin in the flesh in our lives. And sin in the flesh will always be an issue. It will always be raise its ugly head from uh, uh, however frequently we allow it to, but it will always be there. And it will not be something that we have dominion over. It will be something that will have dominion over us. And, you know, you see believers, um, they go through life and they, they, they continually having problems with sin in their lives. You know, you're praying for the, you, yeah, this, I did this wrong and I've done this wrong. Won't you please pray for me? Um, and it's so sad to see because no one's ever sat down and taught them and said, listen, you actually can get rid of this stuff. Uh, this shouldn't be part of your life. God has not designed you as a believer to walk in sin. And again, right at the outset of the teaching, you know, I've you know, dealt with certain aspects. I mean, you know, the fact that it's such a strong um, grip that Satan has on certain parts of the body of Christ in that they truly believe this, that um, they are sinners and they're saved by grace. But, you know, don't try to tell me I, I can't sin for the rest of my life on this earth. No, that's impossible. I will sin, I can sin, and that's just me. I'm a sinner. And uh, that is so contrary to what the Bible actually teaches us. New Testament I'm talking about. In that God calls us saints. He never calls us sinners. Because his intention is for us to walk a righteous life before him. In holiness. Worthy of the calling that we have received from the Lord. And you know, the main theme that you pick up in the, the epistles. I'm talking about now the letters written to the church. For the epistles are the letters written to the church by the Holy Spirit. Um, the main theme in that whole, if you go through all of the letters and just read them and, and pick up the, the main theme, the main theme is live your life right, guys. That's it. Just live your life right. And, and you know, all of the other stuff um, falls into place. And so, you know, God is constantly trying to encourage his church to live in the righteousness that he's called us to. And he makes it possible for us to do. And so we had a look at the fact that God only holds us accountable for known sin. He never holds us accountable for unknown sin. And we've also looked at the fact that all sin that we commit can only originate from our flesh. That's where the sin comes from. It's, it's the fleshly nature of, of man that commits sin. And so what we have to learn to do is overcome known sin in the flesh. Those are the two issues we, we must learn to deal with. If we, if we can deal with non-sin in the flesh, we've got it covered. And we can now walk in righteousness and we will not have any problems. Now, the known part of the sin is an easy aspect to address because um, what, we, what we learn from the Lord that is acceptable to, to God, because remember we dealt with it, we did that crude analogy about the, the sin of adultery, 
Um, that's where that, that believer's knowledge was at that time. But then as they grew in the Lord, they, re- they learned that, in fact, even thinking about that kind of stuff is sinful to the Lord and not acceptable. And so that was the progression. But the knowledge was imparted to the individual. And so once we know, um, once God reveals his, the truth of his word to us, we always retain that knowledge. It never goes away. Um, that knowledge is eternal because the Word of God is eternal. Now, there's something, a, a truth that we also need to learn because when we come into the kingdom of God, let's have a look at the scripture and then we'll, we'll comment on it and that will just help us to understand it a bit easier. Uh, the scripture is in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. The scripture says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Now that's the covenant we're under right now. This is the new covenant that the Lord is, talk, is referring to. Now there's obviously the other part of that covenant where he deals with us and our iniquities he will remember no more. But I want you to touch on this particular part of the covenant right now. And let's explain it. Because when God makes his comment, he says, I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds I will write them. He's not saying that when we come into the kingdom of God, that's it. He puts the whole uh, Bible in our hearts and our minds, and that's it. We have complete knowledge of God's word straight away. Because that's not true. That doesn't happen like that. What happens is that as we grow in the things of God, so we learn more of the word of God and more truths are revealed to us as he opens our spiritual understanding to his word. Now, when he does that, that it's at that time that he writes that law on our heart and on our mind. And he puts that law into our heart and into our mind. And once, once it's there, we have that knowledge. That knowledge now will stay for us for all eternity. It will never go away because the word of God is eternal. And so when God writes his laws on our hearts and on our minds and puts them there, um, it's at the time that he makes that knowledge revealed to us he opens up the truth of his word to us in that particular aspect whatever it might be and once we have knowledge of that we always will have knowledge of that that knowledge will not now oh i forgot that god said that you know he told me i mustn't commit adultery and i forgot all about that but now, now I remember, now that I'm, I, you, know, you bring me to my memory, oh yes, I shouldn't be committing adultery. No, you, once that law is there, it's there. It doesn't go away. It stays there for all eternity. Now we might choose to ignore his word and ignore that law that's there. And we might choose, well, I'm still going to go ahead and commit the doctrine. Remember, now I'm committing the known sin. Why is it known? To me? Because it's known to me. Because God has revealed it to me. And so that, that, that word it never goes away. That, that law has been now written on my heart and has been written on my mind by God himself. And so it doesn't ever, 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 ever go away. And so... Once I know things, uh, the, the Word of God, I can now act on it. And so, um, because we want to, we, we're dealing with how to overcome sin in the flesh. And sin in the flesh that we are accounted for, well, sin, sorry, that we're held accountable for is known sin. Unknown sin, God does not hold me accountable for. He deals with that. Known sin I'm to be held accountable for, and my sin can only be done in the flesh. So the known part is relatively easy to be dealt with because I know what is right. I know what is acceptable to the Lord. As he reveals it to me, I then walk in that. So the real problem that we have to um, address as believers is we have to address with this issue of overcoming sin in the flesh. For it is the sin in the flesh that is the issue before us that we have to deal with and we have to um, sort out. And the way we overcome sin in the flesh is by faith and faith alone. There's no other way to do it. We have to do it by faith. For the just shall live by faith. This whole walk that we, this Christian walk is a walk of faith. It is not a walk of anything else except by faith. And so you have to take the step, the, this step of faith. You have to believe that it is possible for you to no longer commit sin. You have to believe that the Lord Jesus has made it possible for you to no longer commit sin. If you don't believe this, you, 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 sh- you shot yourself in the foot straight away. You'll never overcome sin. 
because it is only by faith that we get to overcome sin. Why is that? Because it's only the power of God that enables us to overcome sin in the flesh. There is no other method. There's no, there's no magic wand. There's no magic formula. It's God's power that does us. It's by the power of God we're born again. It's by the power of God we're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's by the power of God that we are healed in our bodies. It's by the power of God that anything is done in our lives. And what activates the power of God? Faith. It is only faith that activates the power of God. And so I need the power of God in my life in order to overcome sin in the flesh. I can only activate that power by believing that that power is available to me and I can walk in it. And how do I? That's my faith. I have to believe that Christ Jesus in me is able to overcome sin in the flesh, in fact has overcome sin in the flesh, and therefore I can walk in that. Um, and I have to believe that, that it's because it's no other way for a Christian to overcome sin in the flesh. They'll never, you can't do it. Because if you can, or if you could, let's put it that way, we wouldn't need Jesus because we could do it ourselves. And we can't do it ourselves. He's the only one who has ever done it. He's the only one who has lived a life like we live without any sin. And because he's done it, we can now do it. Why? Because he dwells within us and he enables us. Remember Paul, it ties in, but I just want to highlight this one passage. Uh, Paul gets, uh, you know, he takes, he's taking a strain in his life and he, he, he's crying out to God uh, because of all, you know, what's going on in his life. I don't want to get into the detail there. But our Lord's response to him is, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Uh, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so when we realize that it's his strength, and Paul does. He said, I glory in my weakness and my infirmities because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. What does he mean? He means that I, he, I learned to rely on the power of Christ. He learned to rely on the power of God. He learned that he can't do anything. It is Christ in him that does it all. It's the power of God working through him that does it all. And so that is what we tap into. By faith, we tap into the power of God, his ability to overcome sin in the flesh. And he's done it already for us. And that's what we have to believe. That's what we have to attach our faith to. For our, without, the, without faith, we're just not going to get it. For, you, know, we, we, you can receive nothing from God except by faith. Um, James says, you know, you're, you're fooling yourself if you think that you can receive anything except by faith. You can't. Uh, for it is only by faith that we can receive from the Lord. And so let's have a look at what our Lord, in fact, did do. And, you know, we kind of touched on it already, but I need to reemphasize this because, as I said, this particular issue help is the one way that you, we as believers overcome sin in the flesh. There's no other way to do it. It has to be done this way. It's through Christ and Christ alone. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Paul writing, or the Holy Spirit through Paul writing, says... There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, everything is in Christ Jesus, has made me free, has, past tense, made me free from the law of sin and death. I've been made free from the law of sin and death. And so you know, we're not talking about when I get to heaven, I will be made free. I'm right now made free from the law of sin and death. But I need to learn to walk in that freedom. And it's, it, I can't be, go around committing sin and say, well, I'm free from sin. And yet I'm still sinning because, I mean, that's absolute foolishness. You know, you know he, our Lord is very plain about it. You see, he who commits sin becomes the slave of sin. And yet our Lord has told, taught us that we're free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3. Now this is what our Lord did. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, because the law couldn't change the heart of man. My heart had to change. I had to be born again. The law couldn't get me born again. There was no law whereby righteousness could come. Otherwise, our righteousness would come through the law. It can't. It comes through Christ Jesus. It comes through faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son. 
How? In the likeness of sinful flesh. And that's something that uh, Christians struggle to get their minds around. And I don't understand it. I have no idea how it is possible that our Lord dwelt in the likeness of sinful flesh. Because His body was perfect. He had to have a, a perfect sacrifice that He offered up to God. So there was no sin there, but in fact there was sin there. The Bible says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Um, that's the kind of body our Lord dwelt in, which is the body that we dwell in. My body, remember Paul taught us that this body is contaminated by sin. And so the Lord's body was in the likeness of sinful flesh. It's a mystery, but it's how God operated and what God did. On account of sin, he says, he condemned sin in the flesh. So how did our Lord Jesus condemn sin in the flesh? Because he lived from the time he came into the earth until the time he died as a life completely free from sin. He was dwelling in a body that was in the likeness of sinful flesh. So his body was subjected to exactly the same passions that my body is subjected to. His body was subjected to the same temptations that my body is subjected to. For the Bible teaches us that he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so he never ever, he never gave into sin. He never once committed any sin. But he was still uh, in a body that could commit sin. Uh, it, it was if it was not possible for the Lord's body to commit sin, then he was never tempted as I am. Because how, how is the temptation going to work? The body, his body would have just worn off a duck's back. It wouldn't have been a temptation. But the Bible says he was tempted like I am. And so it was possible for the Lord Jesus Christ to give in to sin. He had to be able to be given to sin in order for him to condemn sin in the flesh. Because if it was not possible for the Lord to give in to sin, then he could never uh, be a, a high priest who could identify with, with my weaknesses because he was just never subjected to any kind of weakness. But it, that's not the case. He was. In fact, in, in the book of Psalms, he says, they almost made an enemy on the, on the earth. Uh, uh, he almost perished. You know, the Lord came very close to committing sin. You know, Paul, in the book of Hebrews, he says, you guys, when you go through a temptation, don't think that you're going through a, 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 a tough time. You haven't resisted sin to the point of shedding blood. Now, when he mentions that, he's talking about our Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. When our Lord sweated great big drops of blood through the, his pores, resisting the temptation of committing sin. That was, that, that was the most uh, tempting time our Lord went through. Um, because when he went into the, the wilderness and he was tempted by, by Satan, uh, and, and there were real temptations, all of them were real temptations that our Lord could have given into, but he did not. Um, but at that time, he never sweated great big drops of, of blood through his pores, resisting the temptation to commit sin. Garden of Gethsemane, he did. And what was the temptation our Lord resisted then? Father, Father, if there's any other way, you know, let's, let this cup pass by me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so the, 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 the thought of what was about to occur in his life, it was the will of the Father that Jesus Christ become sin and be separated from God the Father for the first time in all eternity, never happened before. Uh, and this was absolutely horrific that the Lord was, this, this, this issue he was facing. We have no idea what our Lord went through for us. Um, but he gets to that point where he, you know, his will up until that time had always been completely submissive to the will of the Father. But he gets to this, this, this issue. And he's asking the Father, you know, he says, God, all things are possible with you. Can we make another plan? Is there any other way? Do I have to drink of this cup? And then he, he submits and he says, however, not my will, but yours be done. Um, and he had to then take upon himself our sinful nature. Um, but the point that I wanted to get across there is that 
in that Garden of Gethsemane, the agony that I went, our Lord went through, uh, in resisting the temptation to commit sin, what would the sin have been? The sin that he would have committed was, Lord, Father, I can't do this. I cannot do your will. I, it is just too harsh uh, uh, a, a step you're wanting me to take. And that would have been sin because he would now have been rebellion against the will of the Father. Because that's what sin is. And we dealt with it right at the outset. As sin is disobedience to, uh, to God, to the will of God. That is what sin is ultimately all about. It's, it's being disobedient to the word of God, to his commands, to his will for our lives. That's what sin is. And so that is the resistance that our Lord had to put out there, to resist the temptation to commit that sin. Uh, because the Father was asking him to actually become sin. And uh, it was such a, a, a horrific um, step he had to take that he actually, you know, he, in, in, the, in the natural, in the flesh, he, he withdrew from it. He did not want to take that step. Uh, but he resisted sin to that degree. And that's what Paul says to us in the book of Hebrews. He says, you guys haven't got there when you come to sin. So don't get so excited about sin being so, such a harsh, harsh thing to overcome. So not, not, not an issue. Because the one who overcame that sin is able to overcome all sin and has overcome all sin. It dwells within us and we can do it through him. And so uh, he condemns sin in the flesh, verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. And so we as believers have the, the, the ability to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law in this life. While we're living now, this is talking about our lifestyle. This is not talking about uh, theory, you know, that, okay, in my spirit, I fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. Yes, you do, because your spirit is completely sinless, and we're not going to go down that road again. But we're talking about our lives that we live in, in this life right now. We as believers are able to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. How? By not walking in the flesh, but walking in the spirit. Walking means doing stuff, living your life as a believer on the earth right now. We can do that. And we have that ability because our Lord Jesus Christ, who has already, has already done it, he lived in the same kind of body that I live in. Um, and he, his body was subjected to the same temptations and minors. And his body was, um, had the same desire to commit sin that mine does. And yet he never once succumbed to that. And he condemned sin in the flesh. So he's done it for me. He is the one who's done it. And now he dwells within me. And because he dwells within me, I can do it. Because he does it through me. But how does he do it? By my faith. I have to believe it. I have to allow him to, act, to release his power to overcome sin in my flesh through me by me believing. You know, that's how people receive their healing from the Lord or receive uh, present tense, their healing from the Lord. They, act, they believe by faith and then the healing power of God is imparted to their bodies and their bodies are made well. Well, exactly the same way we believe by faith in the in the. the the righteous requirement of the law being fulfilled in us through Christ Jesus, and then his power is released in me, and his power is more than sufficient to overcome um, sinful desires in my flesh. And so it's not an issue anymore because the power of Christ lets me walk free from the law of sin and death um, completely. And let's have a look at uh, another passage of Scripture which just kind of throws a ball into our court and shows us that it's well able for us to do this stuff. And it's, we can do it because he's done it for us, and he lives in me, and he lives through me. Galatians 2.20 again. In the scripture we want to look at it is in Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Uh, Paul now saying to us, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? We're going to touch on grace. Grace is a very important part of this teaching um, and it's uh, an aspect in the body of Christ that is pretty much abused in the body of Christ um, because people who don't understand the Bible take that message and then try and apply it in a weird way 
And that's not how God intended. But anyway, so Paul says, you know, because we're under grace, shall we continue in sin? So that grace may abound. He's talking about the fact where, the, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And so he answers the question. He says, certainly not. And so the Holy Spirit answers the question. He says, certainly not. Jesus answers the question. He says, certainly not. God the Father answers the question. He says, certainly not. And so certainly not means certainly not. We shall not continue in sin. So that grace may abound. That's, an abu- that's trying to abuse grace. That God never intended grace for that. Yet, all right, my grace is, you're under grace, go for it. Sin as much as you like, uh, because you're under grace. And no one can condemn you. I'm God, and uh, I justify. So, yeah, not an issue. No, he says, certainly not. Certainly not means certainly not. Uh, I don't know how plain he can put it. He said, how, now he's trying to explain it to us. Guys, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And we dealt with that fact as well. That the old man died. When we get born again, the first thing that happens is the old man dies. And when the old man dies, we die to sin. Because one who has died has been freed from sin. And we've all died, for he tasted death for all of us. Talking about our Lord Jesus. And so in Christ, we've all died. And the, when we accept him and we accept the, the salvation through him, the, and our old man dies. And when our old man dies, we die to sin. Uh, sin no longer has dominion over us. There's no sin in heaven. And so the old man dies, we've died to sin. So he says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And then moving to verse 11, he says, likewise, you also. Now this is like a mindset. He says, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so that's part of the renewing of our minds. You know, you need to reckon yourself. This is how you've got to view yourself. I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, when I, I reckon myself to be like that, I need to now change my behavior to follow that as well. It's not a case of, well, I'm dead to sin, so I can just now commit sin. No, I'm dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12, therefore... Do not let sin reign in where? Your mortal body. Right here, right now. Not Don't let sin reign when you get to heaven. Or sin, don't let sin reign in your spirit, because sin can't reign in my spirit. My spirit can't sin. But here we go. He's tying it very closely down to my mortal body. This is where I mustn't let sin reign. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. What, what, which lusts? The lusts of my mortal body. Remember, my mortal body is sinful. It wants to commit sin. And so I'm, not, I'm the guy who must not let sin reign in my mortal body. I can do this. Verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. And your members, talking about my body now, Um, as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. And we'll get to the grace part in in a later teaching to to explain that side of it. But the point is, is that God has put the ball completely in our court. Because all of this is up to us. He says it's up to us to tell to, we are the ones who are not to let sin reign in our mortal bodies. And we're the ones who are to present our bodies alive from the dead to God and our members as instruments of righteousness to God. It is completely up to us. God is not, now God is not unjust. God would not say to us, to tell us to do something that we can't do. And so the reason that God tells us to do this and not to walk in sin, but to walk in righteousness um, and not to allow sin to reign in my mortal body is because he's made complete provision for me to do exactly that. He's done it. I need to believe it, and I need to walk in it. And the way that I do that is I believe it, I confess it, and I act upon it. That's how faith works. You have to believe, you confess, and you act. And that's, those three steps have to be taken. This is a faith walk that we walk in. For the just shall live by faith. And so when you believe, and you have to believe, that's the initial starting point. And this is where, oh gee, I don't know, the huge part of the body of Christ struggle right here is they actually just don't believe it. They do not believe for one second that they can walk free from sin in this life. It's something that just, their mind goes tilt straight away. No, that's impossible. You, you can't walk free from sin. Everybody's going to commit sin. And that's it. They just 
Stop the power of God right there. There's no activation of the power of God in their lives in overcoming sin. Because why? They don't believe it's possible. And so that's the very first step you have to do, is you have to now meditate on these truths in the, in the Word of God and get your mind, reckon yourself to be indeed dead indeed to sin. That's what he said um, in verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. And so you have to get your mindset right. You have to say, okay, well, sin actually is not part of my, my, my life anymore. I'm a Christian. I'm born again. I'm a son of God. And I don't sin anymore. Sin doesn't feature in my life. Why? Because it is no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. And Christ doesn't commit sin. And so neither do I. I just walk as Christ walks. John says, he who uh, abides in him ought himself to walk even as he walked. Christ never sinned. So I ought to walk as Christ walked, no sin. And I can do it because He does it in me and through me. But it has to start by faith. I have to believe it. Unless I believe it, I'll never confess it. Unless I confess it, I'll never act on it. Unless I act on it, it will never materialize. And that's where I've got to get over this hurdle. It, I've got to take the step of faith. And I've got to say, okay, Lord, you, I'm going to believe your word on this issue. I don't care what... I see other Christians doing. I don't care that for 2,000 years the church has preached to each other that sin is impossibility to overcome and every Christian is a sinner and that's their, their lot in life and they're going to commit sin. As long as they live on this earth, they will commit sin. When they get to heaven, sin gets done away with. Thank you, Lord. But on this, in this life, mm -mm, not going to happen. You're going to sin. That's what you have to overcome. That's what you have to say, okay, well, that's actually not the Bible. And so I'm going to now sweep that out and I'm going to take what your word says on the subject and your word says to me I am dead to sin and I have been freed from sin and in this life I'm not to allow sin to reign in my mortal body I have that power you've given me that power that I can not allow sin to reign in my mortal body I have that ability to only walk in righteousness and so I'm going to believe that. Lord, you are my Savior. You dwell within me. It is no longer I who live. It is you who's living in me. And so you don't commit sin, neither do I. And so sin has no place in my life anymore. I thank you for that, Father. I believe it. I'm going to walk in it in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Voila. What happens is the power of God kicks in. And you will find that sin becomes a non-issue because... God then starts to work through you because it's God. He, he can, he's well able to do it, you know. Yeah, he is God. And sometimes we tend to forget that, that He is God. All right, but there's more to it. There always is, isn't there? Um, one of the things that we have to do, it's called obedience, because remember, don't forget, sin is being disobedient to God. That's what sin is. That's as, as, as um, simplistic as you can get a definition of sin. Sin is disobeying God. That's it. God is the one who decides what is right and what is wrong. Not man. We don't make up the rules. He does. He's God. Okay? So when he says, this is what you do, and we say, no, 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 we're going to do it this way, we just now are committing sin because we have been disobedient to God. So sin, get this in your thinking, and it will make you help, help you a long way down your line of your Christian walk. Sin is being disobedient to God. Okay, that's, just, that's the bottom line there. So now we get to the very first step that we have to take when we come into the kingdom of God. What do you think that is? It's water baptism. And again, now we go. We go to a whole bunch in the body of Christ that are completely disobedient to God straight away. This is not a teaching on water baptism. Uh, because I, I do have a teaching out there on water baptism. You can go look it up and, and get a, a complete understanding of that. But water baptism was always practiced by the early church as soon as people got saved. Um, it was not something that, you know, you, you get saved today and then we'll put, take you through a, a, a six weeks course. And then, you know, at the end of that time, we can, uh, if you, you feel comfortable, then we'll baptize you in water. No, the, the, you go to the book of Acts and the moment people got saved, they got baptized in water. In fact, when, when Philip preached, he was an evangelist, uh, he preached water baptism to such a degree that when the, the Ethiopian eunuch wanted to 
be saved, his first question was, he has water, why can't I get baptized in water? You know, and Philip said to him, okay, you can, but you first have to believe with all your heart. He said, I believe, you know, and he confessed, and so Philip takes him down and baptizes in water. But go look at all the accounts. As they come into the kingdom of God, so they get baptized in water. Uh, Paul got baptized in water three days after he was saved, purely because there was no, no one around to do it. But otherwise, everybody gets baptized in water straight away. And so it's a commandment of the Lord. Remember, sin is disobedience. And so if we're going to get this thing right, we have to be fully obedient to the Lord as He reveals His Word to us. And water baptism is right up there as we come into the kingdom of God. Now, it hasn't really been taught by the church today as it was taught by the early church. Because as I say, if you go look at the, the pattern in the New Testament, is you get saved, you get baptized in water. Some, most of the time you get baptized in water before you baptize in the Holy Spirit. But it can be that way around. You can be baptized in the Holy Spirit before being baptized in water. But the two are almost simultaneous events. I mean, Paul, when he, when he, he witnesses to the jailer in Philippi, uh, and the, the whole household gets saved. This is in the early hours of the morning. It must have been about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning because it was at midnight that they had the earthquake. And then Paul gets taken to the guy's house and he witnessed to them. So this is like really early hours of the morning. It's pitch dark. And what, what did Paul do straight away when the guy gets saved? He baptizes the whole household. They get baptized in water. So the, the early church took water baptism very seriously from the point of view it had to be done as soon as possible. And now we're going to understand why, because I'm going to just highlight uh, water baptism as part of overcoming sin in the flesh, because that's really what water baptism is all about, and we're going to have a look at it now. But let's just see what our Lord says to us on the subject. Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 19, He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to absorb all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so I'm not going to get into water baptism, you know, that particular thing where our Lord said, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or should you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus? That's not an issue today. The, the point that I want to make here is that the Lord Jesus Christ has given a very clear instruction to His disciples, is that we have to be baptized. That is His, his, his commandment to us. Um, and as I say, you go to the early church, that's what they practiced. Everybody was baptized in water. And so it's a commandment. Um, and if you're not going to do it, you're going to be disobedient. If you're going to be disobedient, you're going to sin. All right, so that's a good start when you come into the kingdom of God. You know about water baptism and say, sorry, that's not for me. There you go. You're in sin now straight away. And that's known sin, because you've heard about water baptism. Now, there are a lot of Christians out there who have not really been taught about water baptism, because it's, ah, sadly, it's not taught in the church as it should be, and not uh, emphasized in the church as it should be. And so people say, oh, you can, you don't have to be, you know. Oh, it's such a, a sad thing, because straight away, that's one of the first things that throws the church into rebellion and committing sin. Anyway, be that as it may. So why has the Lord instructed us to be baptized in water? Um, because it actually doesn't affect our salvation. Um, so what's the point? Because whether I'm baptized in water or not does not affect whether I go to heaven or not. Simple as that. And that's, that's the truth. And so that is one of the reasons why people say, well, you know, what's the big deal? Why should we be baptized in water? It doesn't affect my salvation. I'm, I'm born again. I'm going to go to heaven. When I die, and that's true, you are going to go to heaven when you die, and it doesn't affect your salvation at all. Um, so what is the purpose of water baptism? Why does our Lord want us to be baptized in water if it doesn't have any impact on my eternal salvation? Well, the reason He wants us to be baptized in water is because it affects this life. Water baptism is for this life. It's not for eternity. It's not an eternal thing. Um, what else can I equate it to? Because baptized in the Holy Spirit is eternity, because the Holy Spirit uh, stays with us for all eternity. Gift of tongues, there you go. Well, that's, your that's linked directly to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Once our Lord returns, the gift of tongues falls away, and the interpretation of tongues falls away. That, that, that's not an eternal gift. That, that gift is only for the church age in this life. Um, the guys that go to heaven don't speak in tongues anymore, by the way. 
be that as much. I don't want to get too, too weird doctrinally for you guys today, but <clears throat> I'm trying to equate the fact that water baptism is only for this life that we dwell in right now. It's got nothing to do with eternity. So if I choose not to be baptized in water, I am saved. I'm a child of God. I'm going to go to heaven. I will spend eternity with God. No change whatsoever. However, water baptism does impact on me as a believer in this life I live in right now. And that is why our Lord Jesus Christ wants us to be baptized in water. Because water baptism more specifically deals with the physical body. Water baptism does not deal with my spirit. My spirit gets born again without any water touching it. Um, so my old man dies, my spirit born again. And that happens instantly when I get saved. So there's no water, the water baptism doesn't affect that at all, that process or, or that event. It's not the right term, but anyway. What water baptism does is it affects this physical body I dwell in. For it, I, this is the thing that I, I bury. I bury my physical body in water baptism. And so the main reason that we are baptized in water is so that this body of the sins of the flesh can be dealt with. Because this body has to be dealt with. Because I, I need to overcome sin in the flesh. If I'm going to walk this righteous life that my Lord has called me to walk, then I've got to overcome sin in the flesh. And one of the first things, that, in fact, the first thing I should be doing as a born-again believer is I need to bury this body as quickly as possible. Because the, although the body doesn't change physically, and we dealt with that, we said when we come into the kingdom of God, spirit born again, mind has to be renewed, carnal transition to spiritual thinking. But we said our physical bodies don't change, and the physical body still has sin dwelling within it. However, there is more to it than that, and, it's, and it, it comes down to being baptized in water. And so now we need to get your mindset around. You have to start thinking about how these things actually work. When somebody dies, now talking about physical death, okay? If they're a believer, what happens is their spirit and their soul depart, leave the body, and go to be with the Lord in heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And if somebody is an unbeliever, when they, they, they die, their spirits and their souls leave their bodies and go down to hell. What remains behind when the person dies is the physical body. The physical body stays, and the, the family's got this body now. They've got to do something with this body, because the guy's not there anymore. He's either in heaven or he's in hell. And so he could care less about his body, wherever he is. Uh, but now the, the family's sitting around there, and they're sitting with this dead body. So they've got to do something with it. What do they do? They go and bury it. Because that's what you do with a dead body. Because the, the, the spirit's not there anymore. The body has to be buried. That's what you do with it. Okay? Now, when we get born again, the old man dies. And when that old man dies, the body that he was dwelling in has got to be buried. Now, at the, the same moment, instantly, obviously, it happens exactly simultaneously. When the old man dies, the new man comes, because the new man is the born-again spirit. So the old man's died, but that body that he dwelt in is still there. The new man's come, and now the body that the old man was dwelling in is still there. So what we have to do is we have to take the body of the old man and bury him, and then raise up a new body for the new man who's living on the inside of me. Now, I know it sounds kind of technical, but that's exactly what happens. Because when we are baptized in water, we are buried with Christ, and we are raised together with Him. But it's not in our spirits, because that's already happened. Because our old man has died, and our new man has been born again. Okay, But the physical body has got to be dealt with, as if the old man had died. We have to now bury that body and raise up a new body to, for the new man to live in. And now we can walk in newness of life because we've been raised up together with Christ. And that's what water baptism in the New Testament is all about. Water baptism under the Old Testament, under John's ministry, was something else completely. But under the New Testament, that's what water baptism is. It's death, burial, and resurrection. Um, it's dealing with this physical body. You, because it has to be dealt with. The physical body has to be accommodated for from the point of view of the old man died who was dwelling in this body. So I would now bury the body and I raise it up again. It's now raised up in newness of life. I don't understand how that happens, but God does it. 
through that act of death, burial, and water, and, and resurrection, through water baptism, that's what water baptism means. You have to be fully immersed. You have to bury the body. Okay, It's not a sprinkling of water. You have to go and bury it. And when you bury it, you raise it up again. And when it's raised up again, it's raised up in newness of life. And I can now walk in newness of life. You say, yeah, you've thrown out a whole lot of stuff out there. Where's scripture for all that? Okay, well, let's go have a look at some scripture along that line. Because it's so important for you to get this truth about water baptism because it's the very first step that we take when we come into the kingdom of God. We're born again, now we get baptized in water. Why do we do that? Because we have to deal with this body of the sins of the flesh. So, let's read some scripture along that line. Um, Paul, again, thank the Lord for Paul. For he, the Lord gave him such a lot of revelation. Uh, had he not been <laughs> given to us by the Lord, the church would be in such a lot of darkness. But anyway, here we go. Romans chapter 6, verse, starting at verse 3. The Lord says, oh, oh, Holy Spirit through Paul says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? And so we died with Christ, and we were baptized, we were immersed into Christ. So you say, well, that's not really water baptism, stay with me. Verse 4, therefore we were buried with him, how? Through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And so when we're buried with him through baptism, he's talking about water baptism. That's when we're buried with Christ, through baptism. We're buried with, Christ, with him through water baptism, you can put in there, into death. Now just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. That happened when the old man died, remember? That the body of sin, talking about our physical body, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So he's not talking about when my resurrected body is going to pitch one day. He's talking about right now, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been, past tense, freed from sin. And so, Paul is very clearly stating to us here that water baptism is the act of burying the old body of sin and raising up the new body in resurrected life. And that is the step that has to take place in order for us to um, exercise power over the body of the sins of the flesh. Unless I'm going to go bury the old man's body, I'm still walking around in a dead man's body, really. And so I've never buried him, that body, and I haven't raised up a new body. And so my spirit is now dwelling in the same old body that the old man used to dwell in. And so I'm not going to be able to exercise power over the sins of the flesh of this body because I've not bur I haven't buried it. I'm, it's still, I'm walking around in a dead body, kind of, the way it looks like, uh, in, in the spirit. But I, haven't, I need to bury it, and I need to raise up a new body. It, and God is the one who does that work in me. Let's have a look at another scripture along that line, which is in Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. In him, in Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Now, this is God. He gets involved. This is the circumcision made without hands. So who does it? It's God. He's the one who does it without hands. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Okay? So, in this act of circumcision, God is putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. God does it. Because uh, it's made without hands. Verse 12. Buried with Him, how? In baptism. I'm buried with Christ in water baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And so that is what water baptism does. It takes, because the old man dies. Now the old, man, the old man's dead body needs to be buried. So I take that body, I bury it, and I raise it up again. And when it's raised up, it's raised up in newness of life. God does it behind the scenes because, remember, this is circumcision without hands. 
and God's doing it. And that is what I need. That's the starting point that I need to take in order to walk this walk in this life of walking free from the sins of the flesh. I need to bury the body, putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. I need to put it off. If I don't put it off, it's still there. And so I do it, and again, it's an act of faith. Eh? Don't forget, you, when I'm baptizing water, I'm burying the old body, the old, not the old man, the old man's gone, he died, he's departed, um, the new man's there, but I'm burying his body, and I'm raising up the new body for my new born-again spirit to dwell in. Now that new body, when I get baptized in water, God doesn't then wave a magic wand over my body and the sins of the flesh, uh, there's no more sin inside my body, because that's not true, because we saw in Romans chapter 7, sin is still there. What has happened is now, I have now activated, um, I've done the, 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 the initial step of um, walking free from the sin of, of the body of the flesh, uh, because I can now exercise the power of God. Because I've now also been obedient, don't forget. Because if I've been disobedient right from that very first step and saying, well, I'm not going to do it, well then, you know, I'm now committed to known sin. And I'm going to really struggle for the rest of my Christian walk to overcome the sins in the flesh. It's not really going to happen. Uh, if you don't take this initial step, of water baptism, because that's what water baptism is all about. It's only for this life. It's not for eternity. It's got nothing to do with my eternal salvation. Water baptism is to deal with this physical body that I'm living in. I need to bury it because I was born again. The old man died. So I need to get rid of his body and give my my born-again spirit a new body. And that's what happens. Uh, God does it. And he puts away the, the body of the sins of the flesh through the circumcision made without hands. And now, I'm, but I still need to now carry on walking in faith that I, I've dealt with the old body and now I, I can present this body to God uh, as instruments of righteousness unto Him because uh, I'm now walking in newness of life. And that is really what water baptism is all about. We have to put off the body of the sins of the flesh. Um, and if we dis disobey the Lord in this particular command, we'll never fully overcome the sins of the flesh in our Christian walk. That'll be a hindrance to us all the time. So if you've never been baptized in water, go do it. It's not a, not a big issue. Go and get, your, uh, get rid of that old body and raise up the new body uh, for your new spirit that's born again. And uh, begin to walk in newness of life, free from the sins of the flesh. And we're going to end the teaching on that point today. Amen.